I'm Christian Schiller. Welcome to my podcast, an enthusiastic ramble through whatever has taken my interest the past week or so. Expect technology, games, history, travel, geekery, and as always, much, much more. Greetings, this is Chinchilla Squeaks. I hope you enjoyed the last episode, which was a little bit of a return to maybe a roundup of interviews from KubeCon North America 2021. I was hoping to have actually gone and done it in person because it was hybrid, but I couldn't because the travel ban only just lifted but to the US. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed those interviews. It was a lot longer than some of these other episodes will be, but this is returning back to a uh, links and discussion show. I'm going to kick off with a few announcements and, and kind of things from tech giants, shall we say. Uh, first up, Apple's new operating systems, iOS 15, iPadOS 15, macOS Monterey. I have been rocking iPadOS 15 and macOS Monterey for a little while. This is an article specifically on ZDNet that talks about how they are focusing for business uh, and enterprise users, which is not a field that Apple has serviced particularly well for some time. Uh, and this includes things like device management, which um, is kind of done in a somewhat haphazard way on Apple devices for some time with a variety of third-party tools. I currently use one of them with a company I work for. I have, but I also used a lot of the ones in the past where there used to be a macOS server, um, which was also quite fascinating uh, to see how that used to work. And then I've seen things also done in similar ways with uh, things like Chef and Terraform scripts even, That's, which is also weird. So it's interesting to see that they're starting to roll out um, more unified tools for that. And this includes applications, um, managed application rollouts, updates, and also system extensions and things like that. And this could be why Apple has been kind of pushing um, various system extensions and kernel extensions down a particular path to make it easier for this, maybe? I'm not sure. Uh, and also an intriguing icon I can see in this post, which was specifically from Larry Dignan on declarative management. So replacing some of those roll-your-own scripts that uh, many users have, uh, or many companies have made themselves with other tools and having a kind of official way. So I found that interesting. Um, a little bit more specifically on Monterey, I've actually really been liking it. Uh, the the kind of recognized text anywhere feature in images and things is an amazing feature. I can like, kind of translate text in a photo of a document I get in German and stuff like that, uh, which is pretty cool. I've been playing around with uh, shortcuts on macOS. In fact, you can see I have a hands-on live stream from the past, uh, well, the last episode at time of recording was on it. A little bit half-baked, but uh, getting there and interesting and already is enabling me to do some things between applications that I couldn't do before. So that already is, 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 is a bonus for me. Um, a couple of weird small things I've really liked in Monterey that uh, generally in the past you only ever got battery status on Apple-branded devices on, on Bluetooth. Uh, but now I'm getting it on pretty much all my devices. The only one I'm not getting it on is uh, my um, Keychron keyboard, 
maybe there's a certain Bluetooth standard or something like that that it's not employed with. But on my Sennheiser headphones, I have two pairs of Bluetooth head or three pairs of Bluetooth headphones, um, and they are all reporting battery status now, which is quite useful because they never did before. They used to on Android, strangely, but not on macOS. That's nice. I actually really love the synced focus. I know a few people complained about that focus became slightly more complicated, the fact that you could kind of customize it and things like that, but I actually really like it. And now um, any other device I have signed into my Apple account um, is also synced. I, it took me by surprise, actually, when I saw that happening. Uh, quite pleasant. Uh, another feature I've been playing with is the hide my email and custom domains. I actually tested that in the betas, but now I can do it properly. Uh, and um, I had a f- I noticed I had a few issues with my Apple email address, actually. I had such an old one. It was an at Mac.com address that it got shut down. <laughs> And I had to have a call with Apple support to figure out what was going on there. Um, but I'm basically be using it as a, as a dumping ground for places that ask for email addresses that you don't want anyway. So it's not like I've given out the old address to many people, so I'm not losing much. But still, it was kind of funny to realize that uh, I had an address for so long, Apple had actually sort of decommissioned it. <laughs> um, feeding in a little bit to... The new Mac hardware, I have been thinking long and hard about new Mac um, the, with the new M1 Pro and Maxes, Max Max, yes. And um, I mean, it's mostly just me thinking because I only bought this Intel one not that long ago. Um, but I really enjoyed digging way through this Anantech article from Andre Frumusanu um, that goes deep, 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 deep into performance uh, measurements. And I found it um, good because um, because it was balanced. There are certain places where the new M1 processors actually uh, improve things and there's certain places where they don't at all and certain places where they are a downgrade from Intel, specifically around, yeah, gaming is one of them. Um but generally overall for most use cases and most use cases that most Apple users or Mac users have, it's largely pretty good. Um, and also there was a, an article from, I'm trying to find it now uh, because I don't seem to have it on my running list for some reason. Um, I don't know, I can't seem to find it anywhere for some strange reason. But um, I read another article on Medium that, kind of gave some more practical opinions on um, processor speeds. I think more with hands-on and and things like that, as opposed to just these kind of raw numbers that a lot of people have been referring to. Actually looking at very practical uses, doing real-world tests, code compiling. I've heard some people have had issues with Docker images and things like that. So if that's important to you, then, you know, there be dragons. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of just, I'm getting, I'm, I'm waiting for my tax return and then I might, I might pull the trigger. But I will keep an Intel machine lying around, mostly for old games. <laughs> or look into a game streaming service. I'm not sure, but I actually quite like playing games on public transport sometimes. I'm on long distance trains and things like that. And that would somewhat make that not possible. So anyway, we'll see. Anyway, enough Apple. Let's talk about Adobe. Um, Adobe is one of these interesting companies that was sort of, increasingly dismissed a few years ago as being irrelevant and not really important anymore and they weren't really innovating anymore. And then I would argue that over the past couple of years, they've really 
they've really actually um, upped their game and brought out a lot of new features, whether that's from pressure or just some other reason, who knows. Um, but uh, these were two articles specifically on one of the things they announced at their recent, I think it's called Adobe Max, isn't it? So one on um, Debugger from Lance Ulanoff and one um, on Web.dev from Thomas Natistad and Nabil Al-Shama around how Photoshop will now run on the web. Now, anyone who's been listening to me for some time will know that, I don't know, I kind of like having proper applications. And this worries me in some ways because it starts to make desktop computers less and less relevant. I'm amazed with how powerful browsers are. But firstly, I'd say a lot of these tools end up getting developed for Google Chrome. Um, it's not explicitly spelled out whether this would work in Chromium browsers or just Google Chrome, but they only mention Chrome in both of these articles. And that worries me a little bit as well, because if you sort of push all these high-powered applications that replace the desktop, and you know, we have to bear in mind that Google has um, Chromebooks, which you know are running Chrome, basically, um, you, it starts to become a little bit like Internet Explorer in the 90s, that one browser kind of defines what is possible and defines the standards. And that's where I've always kind of um, defended Safari and Firefox in that, sure, Chrome may be better and Safari and Firefox may have their issues, but that shouldn't matter. The web should be a standard, not something where everything only works in one browser. So that bothers me. And it also starts to kind of push further and further away from this desktop operating system, which means we become more and more cloud-based, which means you put a lot of your um, business and a lot of your um, a lot of your productivity in the hands of cloud services again and subscriptions and things like that. And I just, I don't know, it, technically it's amazing, but business-wise, um, ecosystem-wise, it really bothers me. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm a bit split on it. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, actually. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it a bad sign of what could come? I don't know. Yeah, anyway. All right, um, another article on Medium from Derek David. What happened to Clubhouse? <laughs> yes, um, I tried doing some things on it. We kind of gave up on it quite quickly because we weren't really getting any traction. And it seems that um, even the company isn't getting much traction anymore. Is it because everyone has kind of largely gone back? Well, did other things have... Have people found better ways of having communication? Is it because people have gone back to hybrid events, um, et cetera, et cetera? I'm not 100% sure why, but I kind of found it uninteresting. I think if I want to listen to people talking about something, I tended to listen to podcasts and the sort of quality of audio didn't really help. Um. And in this article, he actually goes through why he thinks it failed. Um, it wasn't built upon a solid foundation and genuine community. That's largely true. It kind of just pitched itself at a very specific community. People started going back to their normal life and people move on quickly. People don't find, didn't find it that useful or relevant. It's true. And curation. There was no curation. Was there much of a market fit? I mean, other services have kind of jumped in and um, filled the function that it had, Twitter, Facebook, Discord, which already existed, 
I mean, talking over audio is a relatively simple feature technically to implement. So, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like it was one of these problems where it was a first mover that then got pushed out of the way by the, the uh, what's the word? The, um, oh, I can't think of the right word, but the companies that have been around for a while, basically. And one of the interesting uh, lines here was, he asks, imagine if Twitter or Facebook disappeared forever, how would you react? You'd freak out. Imagine if Airbnb disappeared, how would you react? You'd freak out. Notion, I don't really care about Notion, but note-taking application of choice, you'd freak out. If Clubhouse disappears today, you wouldn't really mind so much. So, yeah, I think that probably um, summarizes the problems there. On the subject of aging technology, <laughs> uh, an article here first from The Guardian, but this was also widely reported, but on The Guardian it was written by Eamon Ford, 20 years of the iPod. I was actually reminded of this this morning because I passed a poster for a fashion store here in Berlin and it was supposed to be this picture of this kind of modern fashionable woman and it was very quite clearly in the picture, an old um, <laughs> rotary, the original iPod. I was like, is that just a very old picture or did they? <laughs> I don't know. And the iPod Nano, I think, or iPod Touch, something like that still exists. Um, but I remember these when they had spinning hard drives. I loved them. Battery would run out and then very quickly I kind of moved on to having music on my phone and in streaming services. But for some time I used to love syncing them. Uh, the great click wheel good old solid kind of thing and the wired headphones wonderful 20 years old 20 years old uh, a kind of defining device i know it wasn't the first but a defining device and um yeah i love it happy birthday and i guess kind of um sort of bittersweet because it's not really active anymore but happy birthday ipod 20 years today Equally on retro technology, but going back a little bit further, this was on Wired UK from Matthew Hughes about retro computing collectors, which I used to kind of be, but I, I couldn't really keep them. And I started moving out to get rid of some of these retro computers. But what people find on these retro computers and what you do when you do find that information, people have been finding quite, um, quite sensitive information. Do you tell someone? Because it could come across as a bit kind of stalkery. Do you not tell someone? Do you assume they probably had a backup because the information is so old? Do you even are you even able to find the person who it belonged to, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And it was a really interesting kind of problem of what you do about it. Um, and, and this included things like scientific research, um, personal photos, accounting. And all sorts of things. And it's kind of coming up and up again. What do we do with our data when we move on in whatever way that may be? Uh, be that you die and what do you do with data that has defined a lot of your life in the modern era? What do you do when you sell a computer? I mean, I'd like to think that these days most people hmm, back up, archive, delete, but I don't know if that's even strictly true anymore. Um, it's also getting a little bit harder to do that with modern devices, which is problematic as well. I actually remember inheriting an old Mac years ago that had all this pirated software on it. <laughs> I mean, could you claim ignorance uh, and say, well, it wasn't me, Gov? Uh, but then 
handing on secondhand in quote mark software is also I don't know what anyway this is a long time ago <laughs> but um, yeah it was an interesting article um, what have you found on an old computer what surprised you about it let me know christianchiller.com and you can tell me I'd love to hear from you a few um, bits from me what I've been up to and then I'll wrap up with and then finally uh, I released my first solo adventurer wrap up and review instead of doing the live plays which was of Iron Swan um, so you can go along to my YouTube channel to, and watch it there um, a review of this kind of quite increasingly infamous game that allows for different modes of play and is quite narratively flexible and yeah I actually really enjoyed it I was about to join a um, campaign of it but the timing didn't quite work out Somewhat related over on my website, you can find an article that will be something of a living article on uh, digital tools for board games and roleplay games, uh, things for generating characters, managing characters, generating ideas and worlds and maps and all sorts of things. So go and take a look at that. And I've also added notes in there of how you can suggest changes um, to it if you think there's something missing. And finally, uh, Write the Docs podcast episode 35 was released and uh, this included interviews with collaborators for the Docs for Developers book. So if that interests you, uh, have a listen to that too. And finally, for any of you out there who are horror film fans, Halloween just passed. There's a new Halloween movies out and there's a great article here. I think this is a slightly older one no i think it's actually current it's on ign um yeah from this halloween from eric goldman trying to timeline out the various plots of the halloween movies <laughs> i enjoyed it it got confusing apparently it's not the most complicated um way of it's not the most complicated plotted of, of films and sometimes horror films intentionally don't really make sense because, well, not necessarily intentionally, but because they just get made by different people and there's never really canon. But anyway, I found it interesting to read. And if you're a Halloween fan, then uh, take a look. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can find out more about me at christianchiller.com where you can find the show notes, sign up for my newsletter and find all my other writing and video links. There's also details there of how you can get in touch with me and if you want to get even closer to what I do, you can join my Discord server for behind-the-scenes discussions and help me produce the show and my work. And you'll also find details there on supporting through merchandise or contributions. And until next time, thank you very much for joining me.